guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. We are back, Quadcast Nation. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We are excited to bring this episode to you. So it is April 2021, and in Ontario, we, we've just entered another lockdown. A lot of people are down. A lot of people are struggling. And we had this summit back in September talking about resilience. And we brought Dr. Tracy Daglish. We had Michelle Sorensen. We had Dr. Adrian Matheson, specialist in couples, individual, child psychologist. And it was co-hosted by myself and my wife, Catherine Karamantang, who's also a clinical psychologist, talk about the tools of how to overcome, how to become more resilient. And I think this is a time to focus on these things. Actually, all five of us have a discussion about some of the tools that were needed. If you want the full conference, you go to solvinghealthcare.ca backslash shop. And we're selling that for $9.99. And once again, man, that's just knowledge being dropped all over the place. So, yo, without further ado, let's get to that panel discussion. That was just me being speechless. Wow, <laughs> Tracy, that was uh, phenomenal. I, I know, like, I Kathy. so many notes. Yeah, <laughs> Kathy, like, the notepad is, like, <laughs> like, like, deep. Like, it's just on fire. But, yeah, thank you for that. There was a lot of gold in there. Um, so, uh, definitely, if anyone has any questions, put in the in the chat box. But I think, Kathy, do you have anything you would like to ask Tracy? Oh my God. There's like so, so much. So I think, I mean, I think, I think I heard a lot of this and, and um, obviously could relate to a lot of it during, uh, especially during this time. And that was kind of my thing was um, just thinking about, you know, in the face of stress, which you touched at the end there, when there's so much stress going on, how challenging this can become. And um, what I kept reflecting on, and I mean, this might end up going to the, the wider group, to every, everybody who's spoken today, but I kept reflecting on, you know, what I'm seeing in, um, in my clients right now, which is a lot of apprehension going back into potentially, like going into the winter and going back into potentially further restrictions, further shutdown, and back into the stressor that we all kind of, you know, let go of a little bit or that lightened up a little bit over the summer. Um, with the added stressor of the Canadian winter, right, where it's harder to get outside and, and distance and all of that. And um, what came to mind was um, what I'm often asking my clients to do was, um, was to sort of look back on what they went through the first time when COVID, 
COVID hit suddenly, you know, we knew it was going on out there, but it hit us suddenly and things shut down very quickly. And I think we all went into this sort of coping, mm -hmm. figure it out, you know, stress response uh, a moment that lasted six months, but, um, but we, you know, um, now we're looking into potentially going back into this. There's some apprehension there. So can we reflect back on what happened and how that went and what went well and what didn't? And then can we look ahead and, and plan a little bit for this next time, taking what we've learned? And I guess I'm thinking about in relation to what you were talking about, Tracy, um, having like you were talking about coming together as a team and really connecting you know how do you think we could use these strategies you're talking about to prepare ourselves for the upcoming stress you know to prepare mm -hmm. ourselves for the upcoming even if we don't picture as a as a stressor trying to use that growth mindset <laughs> but and that's actually what i wrote down is like can we combine these two but if we look at it as this this challenge that's coming how, how would you recommend someone use some of the strategies you were talking about, Tracy, to, um, to prepare for going into that upcoming challenge so that we can grow and potentially be one of the 50% of the couples that you're seeing? I'm amazed it's 50, like from our personal experience. It's not exact research. I'm just, that's, that's what yeah, I'm that's seeing. That's what you're seeing. Half and half. So it's not everybody struggling. Right. Not everybody thriving. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah. So, but how can we be, um, you know, make ourselves use those strategies to, to help to ensure that we're one of those couples or one of those families, even Adrian, from like the parenting perspective mm -hmm. that, that grows from this and that, um, you know, that can come through this maybe a little bit better the second time. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I think would be important there would be <clears throat> using that kind of we and that intentional meeting to do updates with each other, to check in, right? So instead of kind of just bumping along and being on autopilot as a couple of, okay, we've got to do this. And then there's this and this, oh, no, now we're all home. Okay, then we do this. Use those meetings to sit down and check in with each other and say, how are things going for you? And, and be willing to talk about moment to moment stuff rather than waiting until, oh, like we're just, we're completely fighting and it's not working out right now. So, so using those times to check in and that can help you plan together. So how are you feeling right now? What do we need to adjust moving forward? And maybe even the important thing too is talking about that role negotiation. So if you didn't do it before, can you do it now? And, and meet with your partner and say, you know, list all the things that are coming up right now and talk about what feels too much. What are things that you don't enjoy doing? What are things you need to offload? And how could your partner then also help you? And again, it's not meant to come together as a list of here are all the things I do and you don't do anything. It's more of a let's do a we list. Here's a list that we, all of us, that we're experiencing right now. And how can we then talk about renegotiating these roles so that then we're preparing for what could happen? Okay, so if this happens, how will we handle this? How will we prioritize this? What are some of these things here? And I think a lot of people are hesitant to go into those conversations because the blame and the defensiveness comes up and we feel like we can't compromise because we get into these patterns. So one of the things I would encourage people to remember is that, you know, be curious. If, if your partner says, I'm not able to do that, or that doesn't work for me, or I don't like that idea, be curious why, instead of shutting it down or instead of getting angry, ask more questions. Tell me about that. What do you hope to happen? What do you need to happen? What are things that will 
You know, what are areas of flexibility for you? What's not negotiable for you? Like, help me understand what leads you to say, that's not going to work for me. And then let's find the areas, like the wiggle room, right? Because it's not, it's not everybody over here and it's not everybody is over here. Now it's about coming together. And, and in some ways it's not, I need to lose everything that's important to me, but now let's co-create what this space looks like. We're, we're all in this together, right? That we are, we're all struggling in some way. Right. And then there's this like balance of like, I think that's great, Tracy. Like there's this, then there's this balance of, you know, okay, we've made this plan, you know, we've talked it through. This is how we felt in that moment. And then something happens. We're planned for, okay, the kids are off school for two weeks. They're isolating. We have a plan for that. But then also using some of the skills you were talking about, about checking in like repeatedly and being responsive to your partner in that moment, because maybe there's, I mean, this is what I found with the first shutdown is that there were tons of stuff that happened that we could never have been prepared for or never have predicted. And so, you know, what's going on for you in that moment, you know, is like, are, are we still okay with this plan? How can we be this unified uh, force for our family or for our relationship or for our work or, or whatever, so that we get through this together as a team, as opposed to, you know, two people struggling. Two individuals, right? right. And, and it's not about just you. It's about the respect you have for each other and that you're going through this together. And it's, it's challenging as a partnership. Once we get to this position of I'm fighting for myself, we need to fight for each other. We need to be doing this for each other. And I think the analogy of how would you operate your team? Would you speak to your team member this way? Like it's, you guys are the most important team. Or the other kind of stimulating question I like to ask people is, what do you hope for your children to learn by watching you? How would you want them to be in their relationship? And is this kind of attacking each other or blaming each other? Is that what you would want them to learn to be in their relationship later on? I love that. And even like through COVID, you know, how, how do you want, you know, speaking a little bit to what you were saying, Adrian, with like kind of modeling for them, how to get through it in the mindset, you know, how, how do you want your children to see you getting through it? How, how, what, you know, what would you like your children to take from, from this? How would you like to see them get through it? And if you're not doing that, how can we expect them to yeah. do that? it? It's, it's really been, um, I really enjoyed um, what, what you shared, Tracy, because I never, I have not worked with couples. And as I said, during what, um, during my talk is I work with parents. Um, and I understand that they are also a couple and I understand that they are also individuals, but I really stay within, um, the parenting scope. Um, but it's very interesting because I realized that our jobs are not as far apart as I would have expected them to be. Um, and the points that, that come to mind specifically, are of course, around attachment, which is so cool to me because I'm attachment, I, I, I work from an attachment framework. Um, and this idea that we talk to, to parents about of procedural memory, meaning like, as you say, you're showing up with your stuff. Um, we are also showing up to our parenting with our stuff. And then when we get triggered, we go to what we know as parents and I'm hearing you say that's exactly what we're doing in our relationships as well as we go to what 
we know, we pull out the manual, the procedural manual of, oh, right, I'm triggered. This person is being angry with me or this person is being critical or there's passive aggressiveness or whatever, or they're not responding to my bids for affection. And so I'm going to pull out my manual and this is what I know to do um, during that. And that's exactly uh, what we help parents identify as well, that when they're triggered by their child, um, they need to be have that awareness of, of, you know, using the words that have been used um, by you both today is, is intentional um, in their responses. So I find that really interesting, actually. That's actually really cool to think of, of the parallels um, there. And then also a huge part can of I, our Can I comment on that yeah. for just a second? Yeah, yeah sorry. I think, I think that's so important that we start talking about triggers, right? Because in all, in the self, the couple, and family, we do have triggers, and that triggers will always be around us. And it's interesting because with COVID and with the stress, I mean, for many people, our triggers are feeling more heightened because we are in this state of stress. And that we can learn to choose. And I'm also seeing a, a question from Christy. I almost wonder if I could put this in here. Is that there, the stress here um, makes that trigger point more easily targeted, right? That it's, it's going to come up. It's going to be easily triggered. It's going to be easily pressed. Can I, can I bring in Christy's question here? Just because it goes with the, with the part around triggers. Yeah, okay. Um, so what Christy's he saying here is, what would be your recommendation if I can see that my partner is getting overwhelmed and his stress is mounting, but he is unable to admit this until it presents itself in a negative way? And I think that as partners, it's, it's always okay to give each other feedback. It's, it's the how we give feedback, right? What's going to happen between us? So if you say something like, oh, you're doing it again, that's, that may not be something that they're, they're going to be open to receiving. And, and I wouldn't be open to receiving that either. Versus the, you know, sometimes we could use something like reflecting it back to them. And in the moment, it might be something like a tentative response of being able to say something like, hey, like it seems like something's going on for you. Do you notice that as well? And so maybe even being able to connect, help them connect with it inside because you're seeing it you see it already so it's kind of like hey I can help you recognize this that could be important but then the other piece there is that at a time when your partner is not overwhelmed or not triggered that maybe at a different time you then say to them hey I've noticed sometimes that like I actually see when you're getting triggered before you notice like I see that you are getting overwhelmed and the stress is building before you even label it would it be okay if I pointed it out to you or how could I help you address this? Is this something that you're aware of? And so being able to use that as a, as a dialogue, but again, you're not actually talking about the, the content stuff of, of whatever the child did to trigger you or the stress at work, but you're talking about the process, which is the upstairs level. So would you be okay if I did that in that moment, rather than actually trying to problem solve, it's the downstairs stuff. And that I think it's also, it's always okay to be able to say to our partners, Hey, I, I looks like things are difficult for you. Do you. What can I do to help you? And if they say nothing, then, then you can't give them anything. But and when I say that, it's because we are responsible to identify our own feelings and needs, and it's our responsibility to share that to other people. And if I can just add, I think what's so interesting about what everyone's describing here is that we see this overlap with attachment 
the attachment that, let's face it, as parents, there's many moments where it's easier to tune into that and be really kind and empathic with our kids. I mean, there's lots of moments where that's hard too. Um, but sometimes with our partner, because we want them to come in and save us, or, you know, there's a bit of selfishness, like, of course, we don't want them to be grumpy. That's not fun. And of course, we want them to be in a good place. Um, so yeah, it's so interesting how it all comes back to attachment. And just as I was listening to you describe all of that really helpful information, Tracy, I was thinking, you know, when I work with adults, I'm encouraging them to assert themselves and like take care of themselves. Like if harm is being done, of course, you have to talk to your partner about it. But like, say your partner's in a bad mood. I mean, I know my husband and I each had a day this week where all the COVID stuff was getting to us. And not in a way like neither of us were having tantrums. It wasn't anything like that. The kids were doing great, but just really feeling the heaviness. And as we discussed, like what's coming and do, you know, of course, all of us have different feelings about decisions being made and how things are being handled. Um, so luckily we didn't have that feeling on the same day. But I find in those moments, like just not even as a psychologist, but just a human being who's been married for 15 years or whatever, it's like, can we have our partner be in not a good place and show them kindness, right? Yeah. So I know some of my clients have read that book, Love La The Five Love Languages. I haven't read it, but I've heard lots of really good things about it. And like some people find that really interesting, this concept that different people have different love languages. So for us women, like who knows, like for me, you know, I came home today, actually, I I've been getting some new furniture for this clinic expansion. And my husband's like breaking down all the cardboard and getting the garage. Well, I just was like, so in love with him in that moment, you know. <laughs> but you know, a lot of women will read that book, or they'll talk about it. And they'll be like, Oh, yeah, if my husband's in a bad mood, and he can't talk about it. But I give him a hug, or I kind of like bump up against him in the kitchen, like, he might start to settle because in a way, what you're doing is you're saying it's okay, you don't have to be perfect. Right? Just this common humanity. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Kwaje does all the right things all the time, right, Kathy? Yeah. No, I was just saying like the uh the boxes thing. Like that is not a, that hasn't never happened in this house, has it? Yeah, but it's it's true that like the love languages are different. Like how you know, often one person will express love through an act of care like that or an act of help. Mm -hmm. Um, or assistance and another person it might be something else that they need something physical or affectionate or you know yeah there's physical touch acts right. of service there's all these different lines. right so yeah. you can kind of miss each other you know mm. in that and I know that like you know different therapists believe more or less in those different love languages but I think it's a, a good conceptual way for people to understand those moments where they're like but I am showing you that I'm here and I'm connected and the other person is like, I didn't perceive that at all. Like, like yeah. you were just breaking down boxes, but you weren't turning to me and engaging with me or whatever, right? And then I like how Tracy was describing that sometimes you can talk these things out in the moment. And sometimes it's like, okay, now's not a good time. We'll talk about, like, if you're gaining insight as a partner, you can be gaining that insight and seeing that something's going on, your partner's not being patient with the kids, whatever it is, and you might table it for later for a better moment, like sitting having coffee on a Saturday morning or something. Um, but in the moment, what is it that your partner needs? And I think again, when we come back to this whole idea of self-compassion, if we're being kind to ourselves, if we're giving ourselves a break, 
then can we show up better for both our kids, our partners, our coworkers, um, and just, again, this common humanity of like, yeah, of course, we're all at the best of times, we're gonna have hard days or bad moods, but during COVID-19, 100%, we're not all gonna be in a good frame of mind all the time. Yeah, and you know- There's the importance of taking away that personalization, that sometimes one partner will say, I'm struggling right now, I just like, um, you know, this is like repeat every day, this is just so hard. And the other partner can, can see that, right? And can say, okay, yeah, you're having a hard time. This is really hard. What, what can we do? What, can, what, what do you need? Or then there's that personalization, Michelle, that really stood out for me about your three Ps earlier, that we personalize what our partners will say. And well, it's, it's the, what do you mean you're not happy? I'm working all the time. I've given you this house. We have two kids. You're supposed to be happy. Why aren't you happy? And that if we can depersonalize and take that separation from our partner's emotions and acknowledge that, they have their own experience and that we can sit and tolerate tough emotions. It doesn't mean everything is awful. It means this is a really hard moment. Can we sit together in this really hard moment? You don't need to fix my feelings for me. We can sit in this together. We can move through this together and that it's just okay to have that. And if, if one person is struggling, it doesn't mean that the relationship is struggling. Even if both people are struggling individually, it doesn't mean the relationship is struggling. And sometimes it's hard, even with our kids, you know, to, tear, to tease that all apart. You know, yeah. I'm having a hard time or my husband's having a hard time. Um, but again, like you said, the depersonalization, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that that's my fault. Yeah. Um, but can I, can I play some role? I mean, I mean, I think, I think another thing, you know, Michelle, that I, I see a lot doing the individual therapy is that, you know, people are just, they're, they get maxed out and during COVID this certainly happened. And so they mm -hmm. themselves, like you're saying, if they're not taking care of themselves, they're not at a place where they can turn to their partner mm -hmm. and, and say like, you know, I have space for you. I can be attentive to your needs. There's a, literally, and I'm sure you have all experienced this at some points in your life. So I know I have where I'm just like, I, I can't, I have no, no space for you right now. I can't take your stuff on right now. And so that's like a good cue to self to be a little bit compassionate and say, you know, well, actually, so there's my sign that I'm overwhelmed. There's my sign that I need to do something for myself and not to feel guilty about needing that, that we are human and, and we all need that. Like the name it to tame it part, right? Like if you say to your partner, oh my gosh, my perfectionism is kicking in. I cannot handle the crumbs all over the kitchen floor. That just by saying it out loud, you put your partner in a better position to turn towards you. Whereas you turn against, then they defend that cycle that Tracy was touching on and then we're in trouble. And actually I saw a good comment here or question from Angela. Um, making a nice reference to seeing the humor between Kathy and Quajo as a couple from knowing them personally. <laughs> I'm sure they love that. But I love what Angela asked about using humor and touching on, like, even if that's not natural to a couple, developing it. And that is, I think, such a great question, Angela. And what you're really describing there is a protective factor. So it kind of goes nicely with the whole name it to tame it. Like if someone can be not self-deprecating or self-critical, but just really like humble and human and say like, oh, this situation with the kids, you know, this is really hard for me. Like actually 
during our little break, I went downstairs to check out how the family's doing. And my nine-year-old daughter, it's like maybe one of the last times to have a swim. We're blessed during COVID that we have a pool. Well, she has like five or six nine-year-old girls and her voice is the loudest and the most difficult for my husband to handle. She's just got this very high pitched, you know, and she's excited. And like, he was just, he was like, oh my gosh, I can't handle this anymore. And so again, if I was like, oh, like they're just having fun, but I do understand. And if I can say, yeah, oh my gosh, like Samantha's voice is so loud. That's really, and just that empathy, right? And then it's like, maybe your partner feels a little bit better because you don't feel guilty about what you're experiencing. Yeah, and I think it's the humor idea comes from- cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. the idea to hold our thoughts really lightly, right? And it is something that can be helpful for us, but then also with our partner. And it is such a great, great tool to have between two people that, we, my partner and I will laugh with each other. And that sometimes it's, it's important to remember that it's not that you will never use the, the blame, the criticism, the defensiveness that sometimes we do because it just comes out. We're human. We get triggered and we just react, but it's the ability to say, Oh yeah, I just, I just threw off the fan. I just fell off the handle there. Right. Like I just, Oh wow. Like I just totally was so upset there. Or if it's not in the moment that you can really laugh, go back. Great couples can repair earlier and often rather than letting things kind of, you know, lay underneath the rug. We don't want the bumpy rug, but going back and again, Michelle, like what you're saying, having that humility and being able to say, you know, I'm sorry, earlier I was blaming you and it was not cool. And I can see that that would have been really hard for you. Let me try talking about what I, what, what's actually going on inside of me. I'm really overwhelmed. I'm so stressed right now. And I just really feel like, you know, the crumbs on the floor was like the tipping point for me, but it wasn't cool that I did that. Right. And, and we can laugh, we can laugh about crumbs. We can laugh about the mess. Taking off your shirt in public. Um, I don't know what happened. I just think you wanted to say that. Yeah, because yeah. I've never seen Kathy laugh when you take your shirt off in public. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just wanted to clarify. No, but out of rage, you know what I mean? Out of rage. Um, <laughs> Still doesn't make any sense to the context of the conversation. No, but just like crumbs, we lose. It. Anyway, um, I was going to ask. Uh, actually, unless you had something else you wanted nope. to, okay. Um, a, just a general question to, we'll say, we'll, st- we'll start with Adrian. In general, you know, when it comes to creating resilience, like we've heard a lot about self, you know, how the value of self-compassion, the, the, the value of um, uh, growth mindset or whatever. What do we think is the biggest obstacle? Like, what do you think is like, what is stopping us mostly from achieving more resilience because certainly in my humble opinion um and michelle i think we were talking about this before like in in general we're seeing less resilient people like as a as a population we are less um Mm -hmm. like we could deal with adversity less than we i feel like we had in, in the past so in your opinion what do you think and this could be anybody but what do you think is holding us back the most i'm happy to speak to that i've got i've got some ideas um so uh so based on the conversation that just happened so that's why i'm like oh man oh man my brain is all mixed up because of all this lovely new information um 
that's so helpful in understanding as a, as a person and as a partner and also as a parent. So um, I have an answer kind of based on that. But in terms of uh, with children, it's that we are, uh, we're rescuing too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, to, build, to build resilience in children, they have to experience adversity. And, you know, there's all this, these conversations, like always in my office, parents will say, well, when I was a kid, like that didn't happen. And I just, you know, got this consequence and there was no talking about my feelings. And, and often parents are referring to that as a positive, um, uh, you know, factor in their life that has led them to be a stronger and or more resilient person. Um, And so I'm often confused by that because we now have so much more information around emotional literacy and joining, like all these conversations we're having in the couple um, is joining and um, uh, helping our kids understand that they are doing well, even when they're struggling and that we love them even when they're struggling and no timeouts anymore. There's supposed to be time ins. Um, All of that I think has been misinterpreted as rescuing and not allowing for our children to experience adversity. They have to experience adversity to become resilient. Um, So we want to allow for them to go through those. Of course, everything is to a degree, right? Um, I'm not not talking at all about um, adverse negative experiences that are impacting their emotional, mental, or physical health. But these, you know, scenarios on the school ground, difficult teachers, uh, difficult scenarios with friends, hard games that they've lost, um, peer, um, sibling relationships, you know, not getting in there too quickly. We can all definitely speak to that during COVID. Um, so that's, I guess my answer as a child psychologist to that, but based on what, what Michelle and Tracy have shared today, I think my other answer, even though it's outside of my lane is dealing with one's own stuff. Because even, you know, some of the, you know, respond to the bid for attention or initiate the bid for attention. I think as an individual that you have to be in a place that's not so defensive that you can't do that, you know, as your own person. Um, So I think also like from, I know nothing about adult stuff, but uh, from what I've learned from the speakers that if, if people are dealing with their own individual stuff, then we're better parents in our kids becoming more resilient and and leading to more resilient um, relationships as well. I would love to add on to that. Would that be okay? Michelle, I know it looks like you have more to say too. Okay. I, I, I absolutely agree. And kind of layering with that is this sense of willing, willingness to be uncomfortable that when we see our kids struggle, if I take that as an example, that's uncomfortable for us. We don't want to see them in pain. We don't want to see them struggle. But even for our own selves, so if we were looking at the individual or us as a couple, if I see that my partner is having a really hard time, it's uncomfortable to go to them and say, hey, what's going on? Because that's a risk. It could, it could be that they tell you, I don't feel close to you anymore, or I don't, I feel resentment towards you, or I don't, whatever, right? So it's risky, it's scary. But I think in order to develop resilience, we need to be allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable and to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, 
that that being uncomfortable is a space for growth, right? Going back to that growth mindset that we can then start to change and find other avenues. And it, it's, I love the analogy of, you know, you're walking on a road, you know, let's say the canal here in Ottawa, you're going along the path and, you know, every day you take the same path and then you start to notice actually, as you're at this point in this path, you go away from the water, but you want to go towards the water. But in order to go towards the water, you have to go in kind of this messy, grassy area, and you're not sure what you're going to meet. There might be puddles, There, I don't know. So you decide, okay, what's important to me? I'm going to go and get uncomfortable because I really want to see the water from this perspective. So you go through that grassy area. You might get wet. Your pants are going to get wet. It's uncomfortable. But what happens then the more you do that, every single time you take that uncomfortable path, that path starts to become laid out and it starts to become more comfortable. But we have to be willing to make a choice to feel that hard stuff. And I think that's the difference between people who are resilient and have stronger resilience versus someone who doesn't is that we're willing to be uncomfortable and to do that stuff. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube at Quadcast. Leave any messages, any comments at Quadcast99 at gmail.com. If you're a fan, please leave that five-star rating. It means the world to us. You can do that on iTunes or on Spotify. That's it from us, guys. Stay safe. Be smart. Shine. Be glorious. Quadcast Nation, thanks so much.